Hola, como estas? Welcome to the Brazos Point living room. We are glad you're listening. Got the three amigos back together, and we're going to jump right in this week as we continue our message series walking through the Gospel of John. So, first question for you guys, and it may seem random. In what way are you most like a preschooler? Hola, me llamo Randy, and I have two ways. Uh, one, I like to play. <laughs> I think I have multiple ways, but what's your two? <laughs> I like to play, and I get grumpy when I'm hungry. <laughs> that was going to be one of mine. Yeah, it's real. Grumpy when I'm I have hunger. hanger. My other one... <laughs> This literally just popped into my head because I was thinking about how I can sometimes be messy like a preschooler, but a specific way that I think I'm messier than most adults, (laughs) this is so embarrassing, is the way I brush my teeth. (laughs) Like, I didn't know not everybody brushed their teeth as recklessly, as much with reckless abandon as I do until I, like, brushed my teeth with other people. My guess is you do it aggressively, and so it creates a whole lot of... Oh, yeah, and I just let it drip down my entire face. I have to clean my beard after a toothbrushing. I mean, I have to shave mine. So, I don't actually, I don't think preschoolers brush their teeth messy. They're terrible teeth brushers. Children. Yeah. But there's always like Children toothpaste are all over the place. I think I brush my teeth like a preschooler. <clears throat> I just clean up after myself. Nah, if you brush your teeth like a preschooler, it'd be fast and ineffective. Yeah, mm. It's can, pretty effective. They do get toothpaste all over the counter in the sink, but it's like unused toothpaste. Mm-hmm. I think I, I've got another way I'm like a preschooler. Oh, no, this is different. This is how I'm not like a preschooler. I actually like naps. Uh, I love naps. I, I was going to go naps. Yeah. Maybe it's needing a nap. <laughs> there you go. Needing a nap. But I was naps. like, preschoolers don't like naps. Because That's true. I love naps. But they need it. <laughs> it's just like, if I don't have that nap on that one day, Sunday after Sunday, I feel it. It's my next step with God every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also realized that another way I'm like a preschooler is my favorite TV show is Bluey. Yeah. Wow. It's not for preschoolers, Randy. But it's for kids. It's got it's, the Disney factor, huh? Where it appeals to both. Well, Disney didn't make it. Well, I just mean that it has the adult the, appeal the also. Yeah, the kid yeah, appeal. yeah, yeah, yeah. If if my kids walked away, I would still be watching it. My mm-hmm. wife, Emily and I. But my I have kids another love it. way. I'm like a preschooler. I love my mom <laughs> and my Aww. dad. Shame she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> it's not Ashley reciprocal. Does. Ashley does. I, yeah, I do need to clarify that. Ashley <laughs> listens to our podcast. Last time I said that she didn't, she corrected me there by proving that she does listen. <laughs> she got you. But Emily still know, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, my second question is, what other person are you the most dependent on? Do spouses count? Spouses count? Probably. Well, definitely Jeff in, in all the ways. What um, do you depend on them for? Like more silly or? Dishes. <laughs> <laughs> he said silly. <laughs> <laughs> dishes. So you don't do the dishes. Hmm. No, like on weeks that he's like gone at camp or something, you know, leading a small group. They just sit in the sink. <laughs> Spouses have to count, right? And uh, I mean, like Ash is my legitimate answer to and like what am i not dependent on her for mm-hmm. you know like she is the glue that holds my puzzle together i guess like she's order organization it keeps me moving 
uh, maybe this isn't a fit for the question, but when you said dishes, I thought <laughs> if it weren't for Emily, my kids would never be bathed. <laughs> Mine I either. just got there. If it you were talking about washing dishes, and yeah. I'm like washing my kids. If it wasn't for Ashley, my kids would not be bathed, and they would be illiterate. <laughs> Mine too. But we would have a have good so time. Fun. We would have. We would be dirty but fun. Your wife also teaches one of my kids how to read. Yes, she's good so. at it, man. She's, she, I'm dependent on her. We our our literal physical well being depends on her. <laughs> I, I also have Jeff do any, if I have to make any kind of like slide presentation for school, I give him the content and then he makes it. So stuff like that too. He just knows how to do more things. Nice. Shout out. To I like to think we're codependent though. <laughs> yeah. At least surely I'm bringing know, something to the though. table. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have her on next it's week. It's like I'm eating the stuff on them dishes. <laughs> Well, the reason we're talking about being dependent and even maybe like a preschooler is because as we continue to journey with Jesus through the Gospel of John, we're going to see him interact with somebody who is completely dependent uh, on other people and really who ends up being completely dependent on Jesus. And so we see this interaction with Jesus and a blind man who he ultimately heals. And there are a lot of questions about how exactly this happened and who the person who did the And they ask him, Okay, well, why is this man blind? Is it something he did? Is it something, a sin that he committed? Or is it sin uh, of his parents that made him blind? And Jesus kind of says neither. And he talks about, uh, if you read it, that there is some purpose in suffering. It's an interesting idea. And so uh, we also have us reading Matthew 5. And here's what it says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So my question to you is, how do Jesus's words help you understand suffering or comfort you in the midst of it? I, mean, I think the answer for me is they help me greatly. And that not just for me, but not just that I draw comfort from it, but I think it greatly helps me to comfort others. Mm-hmm. Because I talk to folks all the time that twist and misunderstand the reality, and they really do buy into that. If bad is happening, it must be because I've earned it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so Jesus' words here, where he says very clearly, no, it wasn't him, it wasn't his parents, it, it wasn't either of those things. Man, like I hope that encourages and shapes lots of folks' understanding on this, especially folks who tend to, you know, take the blame for the bad that's happened to them. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that we can tend to do when bad things happen. And it doesn't make sense that those things happened is let it affect our faith in God, too. Like, if he let this bad thing happen, then who who really is he? And so Jesus's words here help us again, because the whole book of John is all about telling us who he really is. And the thing, like, one of the things I was reading earlier is that Jesus, he absolutely has the power to heal He can do any of that that he wants, but he also has the power to help us deal with it and to walk us through it. And that's what we get. We get his presence. And the thing is, both of those, whether he heals or helps us deal, it grows our faith. I like that. And it's heal and deal and I'll add a third element. He also has the perfect wisdom to know what our actual good is, Yeah. right? We have our perceived good and my own perceived good for myself doesn't involve a whole lot of discomfort, Mm -hmm. but his greater good uh, might actually come through a a lot 
of suffering and pain, but he actually has the perfect wisdom to know what's good for us. And sometimes, like you said a minute ago, helps us know how to comfort others. Sometimes the greater good, it, it might, we don't like this, but it might be how we're able to minister to somebody else down the road. Yeah. And I just think these words from Jesus are so clear and so helpful because like, I think of so many folks, you know, that, that we pastor through hard things that, that we can point to these words and go, listen, look, you didn't do this, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's not your fault. It's okay. I mean, it may not be okay, but you didn't create this. Right. And at the same time, I do want to add to the conversation that though suffering is not the result of, of sin in a sense, meaning that your sin caused you to have this consequence, uh, it is it is true that so all suffering is the result of sin in a particular sense, right. meaning the fall of man. Yes. Right. So you go back to the beginning, you go back to Adam and Eve, you go back to the choice to rebel against God in his ways that introduces sin into the world. And then ultimately all pain and suffering is a result of sinfulness but not your particular sin getting a consequence for what you did. Hmm. Well, I think in in verse 3, Jesus says, Neither this man nor his parents sin, but this, referring to his blindness, happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus is basically saying there is purpose, a greater purpose to why this is happening. And so my, my next question for us, I think, is a big one. How has pain been purposeful in your life? And can you say that you're actually thankful for it or blessed by it, as Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, as we get into that, I want to kind of add a detail into the framework here. Like, we don't know how old the man born blind was, mm-hmm. but you have every indication that he's 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 not an adolescent, right? Mm-hmm. This is an adult. And so think about how many years it was from his birth until this point in time. And and now the purpose is, is being fulfilled mm-hmm. in him as Jesus is healing him. And so I, I think that's important for us to think through. Like sometimes the duration of pain is long. Mm-hmm. And even though it takes a long time, it still has great purpose. And sometimes we just have seasons that we have to go through before we see that purpose. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think thinking through the idea of how pain has been purposeful in our lives, uh, it's the reality that that we grow more in the valleys than mm-hmm. we do in the mountaintops, you know? But then what that looks like in terms of our own particular experience, it's different from person to person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, think I try to look back at any pain and see how there was purpose in it, and sometimes it's not always all that obvious, but something I've noticed too is that a lot of times pain that I've walked through has actually spurred me on to some kind of next step with God, like experiencing some kind of, um, I don't know, some kind of event or even season that was particularly painful um, softens my heart toward other people that are also walking through something like that and like realizing that has actually like spurred me on to pursue more next steps with God. And so Mm -hmm. that's like, I like looking at that and seeing how, whether he heals or helps us deal, it grows our faith. I think for me, when I think about this whole subject, like if I'm honest, I feel like I have far more experience walking with others through their pain than I do walking through my own pain. Mm -hmm. And so that's just my life's experience. You know, I mean, there's just not a whole lot of, of suffering or painful experiences, but man, I have walked through it with people and not just, you know, the masses, but like people that, that I have deep connection and relationship with. And so I think how pain has been purposeful in my life, it's like 
ministering to people who I love who are walking through pain, you know, and being able to be the hands of feet in Jesus uh, of the in those cases, and also being able to be that that consistent and gentle reminder of the presence and goodness of God in the pain. Hmm. One of my favorite words is just perspective. And I think it's a powerful exercise to look back on our lives and see the real difficult seasons and begin to ask God, God, what was the purpose in this? God, where were you work at work in the midst of this difficult season? Because I think there are times, there have been seasons where I'm going through something difficult or things around me that are just hard to explain and why, that sometimes I can feel like, oh, I can trust God, like I can really trust God in this moment that he's doing something that I don't understand. There's sometimes it's just like so hard. Hmm. Like it really is hard. And so I think the more and more that we, we have longer memories and we look back and see, man, here's how God worked in the midst of this and just continue to remind ourselves so that we're in another one or we we're helping someone else walk through it. It's just reminders and perspective of God does use these seasons. Well, and I, I talk a little bit about this in, in message, and I think this is so real and so true to life that uh, this makes us think about unanswered prayers, you know, like the prayers that, that God doesn't answer the way that we hoped that he would. And in the pain of something not going our way, um, man, that's that's where there's a great deal of purpose, because even when he doesn't do the things that we asked him to, we are able to find his presence and ultimately his faithfulness even in those times Mm. and that'll stretch and grow you Mm -hmm. well as we continue on we've got this this part there there's a passage or part of the the passage uh, randy you don't cover in message and it's kind of a deep dive for for those in small group to kind of go into and uh, we see this interrogation and as the religious leaders see this man who's been healed they have a lot of questions for him and they want to understand who did this and how did this happen and uh, as we jump in, we see that they want to know, okay, who did this? And, and the man tells them, and they said, well, he's not from God because he did this on the Sabbath. How can a sinner perform such signs? And they're all divided and they're fighting and they're arguing. Uh, and so my first question is, why do the Jewish leaders refuse to believe that Jesus was the one to heal the blind man? This is kind of a reoccurring theme. They're, they're missing what's really going on here. And they're fighting about things that aren't as important. Well, I mean, it's the opposite of John's purpose. John has written these things that we may believe. And the reason they don't want to believe is because they don't want to believe. And if they, if they attribute this miracle to Jesus, then they have to, they have to be more considerate, more thoughtful in regards to his claims to be the son of God, to be God himself. And they, they don't want him to be the Messiah. Yeah. They're not believing that Jesus is who he says he is. And so this is making them pretty angry and we've talked about it before but there's also a lot of jealousy on their part that Jesus is gaining so much popularity and every time he heals somebody or does something like this more crowds come around and they're afraid they're afraid that these people that are witnessing these things are going to essentially convert over to Jesus' side. And that doesn't just mean that they're now following Jesus. It means that in the Pharisees' eyes, they've lost those people. Well, and in this portion of the passage, it points out that they were divided on mm-hmm. this, you know. And and so that illustrates your point that, that some were going Jesus' way at whatever level. And, and then obviously some were digging in their hills and not. Hmm. Well, they continue to go on. They're trying to get to the bottom of this. They say, go get his parents. 
Like, we need to really figure out what's going on here. And they bring the parents in front. They say, you know, what happened here? And they say, okay, we know he's our son. We know he was born blind. Uh, but we don't know really what happened else. They say, ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And it says that his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders and their interrogation. So my, my question for us is, have you ever had a moment where you were unable to testify to what Jesus I mean, I can't necessarily think of anything that was like, you know, God healed me of this or that. Um, but the way that I think about this is is a little bit more kind of nuts and bolts of the reality that the greatest good that Jesus came to do was not these physical healings, but was spiritual healing and to give us the gift of salvation and freedom. And absolutely, I've got times where I, I don't know that I was unable to testify about that, but I either was unwilling uh, or, you know, um, just didn't step into opportunities that God created um, you know, maybe because I was worried about people or their feelings, or maybe I was, you know, for all the reasons that we talk about why it's hard to share our faith. But ultimately, that that certainly rings true for me, that there's been plenty of times that I haven't testified about the freedom and the salvation that Jesus Yeah, that's me. what I was going to say. This question doesn't necessarily bring up a specific time that I can think of. This question convicts me, to be honest, because I can't think of a time that I was actually unable to. I might have thought that in the moment, and that might have been the, let's just be honest, excuse I used, but there mm. are times it's, it's a matter of willingness most of the time, I think, mm. for me. Well, and I was thinking too, Michelle, like your experience having been uh, a missionary on the field, like yeah. you've had, you've had seasons where your ability was constrained. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, and, and, you know. And we had to be careful about who and where and how, all that kind yeah. of stuff. But, um, yeah. Hmm. Well, they go on to eventually throw this blind man out of the synagogue because of what Jesus has done for him. And he keeps saying, no, this man was a prophet and he's, he's not who you're saying he is. And ultimately he's thrown out. So my question for you is, have you ever experienced rejection because of Jesus or your faith? I mean, obviously not because we don't testify <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, yes, in small ways, but I don't necessarily have any life experiences where I really feel like I've lost a friendship, lost a connection, been, ostracized because of my faith in Christ. Yeah. Hmm. This makes me think of, this makes me think of, um, you know, I think many of our people may feel this for sure and in different ways, but in regards to their family, maybe that don't believe they have disagreements on, on maybe some teachings that Jesus holds to or, or things like that. But I always think about my time doing ministry in Austin and being on the university of Texas campus um, doing college ministry and the amount of times I would have conversation with students and it was like, you know, I was not being thrown out of a synagogue. I was not being thrown off of campus, but I definitely experienced rejection and the fact that it's like, as soon as these people, like we were getting along great, we were even friends, maybe even multiple times. And then as soon as they recognized like, oh, you follow Jesus. And to them, that was a whole, you know, it came with a lot of baggage, but it was just, we're done. Like, Hmm. See, even in that, I don't necessarily relate. Like I think back to when I was in high school, standing out and being different because of following Christ, but still never rejected or, you know, not included. Yeah, for but sure. just seen as different. Hmm. Well, I think these questions kind of tie together. Then, if we're like, I've never actually really experienced that type of rejection, then to go back to the previous one and be like, 
So why am I so unable? Exactly. Yeah, that's why it's to, convicting, Joseph. To leverage these moments. <laughs> yeah. We <Yep>. already confessed. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you continue on, um, you ultimately see that the, the blind man attests to Jesus and really does believe um, in, in, in the man who healed him. And uh, one of the things we have us reading is 2 Corinthians 12, and it says, uh, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And I think one of the things to pull from this is this man was had need, and he knew it, and he recognized it, and in his need, he saw his need ultimately for Jesus. And I think, you know, Paul's words in 2 Corinthians talk about boasting in our weakness so that Christ's power may rest on us. And so the first question is, what can we learn from the blind man's example and how can we be more like him? I think he is a living example of Matthew 5, 3, that verse from the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, the wording and the language there in poor in spirit like speaks to the begging poor. And so this blind man, born blind from birth, uh, he's literally a beggar. That's where we find him in the story. Like the poor in spirit is the begging poor. Uh, he has this, this poverty that he's experiencing because of his condition. And so he's so needy in multiple ways. Yeah. Like he's needy physically. He's needy financially. He's needy relationally. He has all of these different kinds of needs. And then when you look at the other half of the blessing in that, you see that the promises the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of God, and you see this living example of that in that he inherits the kingdom of God by literally physically seeing the king. Mm-hmm. You know, so he literally physically gets to see the king. Jesus reveals his true identity as the Messiah, and this man's reaction and response is faith and worship. And yeah. so, man, that's how I want to be more like him. Like, I want to embrace my need in such a way that it propels faith and worship in my life. And as you follow him through, um, as you follow the blind man through um, the chapter, you see that he gains physical sight, and then he gains spiritual sight. And he goes from seeing Jesus as his healer, this is the man who just made me be able to see Savior, um, you know, and, and and a prophet recognizes him as a prophet to where he sees Jesus as Lord and he's willing to be rejected from the synagogue because of who he believes Jesus is and an unwillingness to back off of that. And so I think that what that tells us is that the the more we want to know Jesus and know about him just keep trusting him in different mm-hmm. things like keep taking those steps and and we'll gain that relationship even more and more well and there's a virtue that's involved in this that we're called to in regards to being like him like john is so clearly juxtaposing him with the pharisees mm-hmm. and so you have the pride of the pharisees and the self-righteousness of the pharisees mixed with the humility of the blind beggar who gladly receives what Jesus offers. And even go back to how Jesus offers it. It's so bizarre and unique. 
Like this is a weird chapter of scripture where he spits in the mud and he rubs it on the man's eyes and he tells him to go from that place to another place to wash. That's that's unique. That's not how Jesus always does healing miracles. Right. And so this man exercises a great deal of faith and trust, uh, even if it's just that he was up for anything at this yeah. point, right? Okay. He, he exercises faith and trust and obedience. And, uh, and man, that's what I want is to be like him in his humility, but also in his obedience and to not be like the Pharisees in their pride and hard-heartedness. Hmm. I, I just want the humility. Uh, you talked about we grow so we grow so much in our the suffering and the difficult seasons of life, and in the same way, it's like Paul's words in Second Corinthians. I think we grow so much more in the moments of recognizing our weakness and our need. And I just want that posture of you know I may not be physically disabled like this man, but I want to just constantly be aware. Like we are, we are proud people, and I want to just constantly be reminded of. I'm boasting in in something that's temporary and that God is ultimately in control yeah. of. Yeah, that's so true. And I think you look at Matthew 5, you look at John 9, and you look at 2 Corinthians 12, and in every one of these, what God does is he turns the world on its head and he redefines everything. The poor in spirit are the ones who inherit. The ones who recognize their need are the ones who are blessed. The ones who don't recognize their blindness are the ones who won't see spiritually. Uh, and then you bring it up into to Second Corinthians twelve, and it's uh, we actually are if we're going to boast, we boast in our weakness. Well, the idea of boasting in our weakness that's wildly opposite of what the world says, right? And so, just recognizing that God's ways are so different than the world's ways, and if we're really going to follow Jesus, we have to go through that paradigm shift and be willing to be transformed to God's ways. It really is. An- kingdom that is upside down you know it's the first will be last if you want to be great you've got to serve god will use the weak things of the world to shame the strong it's it's beautiful and powerful last thought is in what area of your life do you want to rely more on god's strength and power rather than your own we're talking about we want to do this more so what's a real area all of of them Maybe pick one you or know, two. You know, something that comes to my mind um, is just the area of insecurity. And where I have insecurities, that really is another form of pride because it's like God created me this way and He is powerful. So if I'm putting my trust in His strength and power, then those insecurity, I'm finding my identity in Him and it's, it's all in Him. And so those insecurities should go away. But when I'm putting it in my own strength and power, then yeah, I'm going to have insecurities. Um, and I'm, so I'm walking through a book um, with a couple of college students right now. And we had this conversation last week about, um, we were we were talking about shape, which is spiritual gifts, heart, what you, you know, what you care about, abilities, personality, and experience, and how God has given each of us a unique shape. And then he wants us to use those things that he's given us that he has um, had us walk through to worship him and guide others to worship him. And we get, we tend to get so caught up in maybe comparing ourselves to other people and like what my abilities are compared to what your abilities are or something like that. And when I get caught up in that 
comparison trap, that's when, of course, those insecurities come back in, which just tells me that I'm relying on my own strength and power and not God's. And something that somebody told me a long time ago, I don't remember who it was or where I read it or what, maybe it was one of y'all, but um, something was said that you can tell if you're relying on your own strength and power for something if criticism about it hurts your feelings really, you know, because if you are following God and doing what he's putting on your plate to do, and you know that you're doing that in the way that he wants you to, then if there's criticism about it, it's, it doesn't feel as personal, you know, because this is what God gave me to do. But if I take something real personally, then I was probably treating it as if it was mine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I had to think about two seconds. <laughs> On this question, when the first thing that popped into my head popped into my head, so I'll go with that, and it's parenting. Like, it's, uh, it's a challenge, uh, and it's a, a great responsibility, um, but I think part of the reason why I want so much to rely on God's strength and power is because I recognize how little control I have, mm-hmm. you know, how great the consequences of this responsibility are, how, how big of a, a task it is, um, how important these relationships are, but ultimately how little control I have. And where I'm in a space that I have so little control, it's where I recognize that they're God's kids, mm-hmm. that his, he's more, he loves them more than even I do, as hard as that is to understand. And he has, uh, he has greater stake in their future than I do, you know? And so just recognizing that I have such limited control and that I just need his power and I need his strength. And then I also think about it just like in super pragmatic ways in terms of like, man, like in my own strength, maybe I, I can be a pretty decent husband to this one wife, but I got these three kids. <laughs> You're outnumbered. I don't know why anybody's a polygamist, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's a different podcast. Uh, Well, you took mine right out of my mouth. I think trust is definitely one. I mean, just the future. And I think when I think about future and my my desire to trust God more and lean into his, the confidence that comes in him is is really parenting in my kids. And I think about the responsibility that's there. And if all if I had all the ability and I it was all rely on me, I'd be terrified. And the fact that there's I have even less than I think, it's just so big. And so I, it's definitely a place I keep coming back to to say, God, I definitely can't do this, and I know you can. So please help me to feel it. And well, and at the core of what I want His help with in regards to them is actually about Him, because mm-hmm. more than anything, what I want for them is to know and follow Him, mm-hmm. to love Him, and to to leverage their life however creatively they execute God's will in their life. Like I just want Him to be at the center of who mm-hmm. they are, and uh, and I can't make that happen. I would suggest that both of y'all come to a family fun event that we're having <laughs> on October 16th. <laughs> well, the last day to register is Sunday, October 2nd, which is the, the, day, the day this, this gets released. Comes out. So if Hopefully. you go after Sunday and try to register, uh, you're too late. It may be <laughs> Well, uh, this was great. I've enjoyed getting back into this series. And if you're listening and you are not currently connected to a small group, we would love for you to be able to do what we just did, to sit around and to talk about the things that matter most and to laugh together with other people. And so if you're not connected in a small group, send us an email, smallgroups.brazospoint.com. We'd love to get you connected. Any last thoughts? Thank you, Ashley, for doing all the things for all three of us. <laughs> and thanks for listening, Ash. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>